Romans chapter 8 is the text that we currently are on this morning. And in your bulletin is an outline. I encourage you to locate that and use it to follow along, take notes, read the, the quotes, and by God's grace, fellowship with the Lord together as we uh, seek Him this morning. Romans 8, um, 18 through 25 is the text that we are going to begin this week. We will not finish it, um, but we will certainly begin it. Romans 8 is talking about the blessings, that, uh, the benefits that flow from a saving relationship with Jesus Christ. And um, we've looked at the first five, and this morning we're going to come to six, and that benefit, as your outline clearly shows, is the promise of glory. Brothers and sisters, in Bible times when they worshiped God and the reading of the sermon was um, read, they stood, right? So when, when, when Jesus read, he then sat down, the text reads. So if you would, to, uh, together with me, let's stand together. Out of reverence and respect for the king's authority who wrote these words. Please stand together with me. Hear now the word of our Lord. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that is to be revealed to us. For the anxious longing of the creation waits eagerly for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not of its own will, but because of him who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself also will be set free from its slavery to corruption and to the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For for we know that the whole creation groans and suffers the pains of childbirth together until now. And not only this, but also we ourselves, having the first fruits of the Spirit, Even we ourselves groan within ourselves, waiting eagerly for our adoption as sons, the redemption of our body. For in hope we have been saved, but hope that is seen is not hope. For why does one hope for what he sees? But if he hopes for what what we do not see, with perseverance we wait eagerly for it. Thus far the reading of God's word. Let's pray together. Lord, what a delight and privilege it is this moment to come before you. To praise you for the privilege of having Bibles, your word, in our laps. And uh, Lord, able and accessible to us at any moment. Um, God, we pray that you give us grace. That as we fellowship with you now, that our desire would be to, yes, Lord, learn this text. But also, oh God, to commune with you, to fellowship with you. to, To have your glory, the majesty, the weightiness of your person be greater shown to us this day. And Lord, may that just uh, feed our faith, feed our souls, and grow us evermore in you. Bless this time. Give me grace to preach with fidelity and grant his grace to, as I preach, to preach with unction and to listen with unction and power. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Please be seated. In 586 BC, most of you know this, the temple... The Solomonic Temple that was built in 957 B.C. or finished being built, roughly 957 B.C., that temple was destroyed. What a shock. It had such a glorious beginning. We read about its beginning in 2 Chronicles 7, where we read that when Solomon had finished praying, fire came down from heaven. This is the dedication and consumed burnt offering and the sacrifices. And the glory of the Lord filled the house. And the priest could not enter into the house of the Lord because the glory of the Lord filled the Lord's house. Brothers and sisters, when God created this or had this built and it was finished, 
God's Shekinah glory came down and manifested that, that, that temple so much so that the priests could not enter it. So awesome was God's presence in that temple. And yet, less than 400 years later, we read these words from 2 Kings. Now, on the seventh day of the fifth month, which was the 19th year of King Nebuchadnezzar, King of Babylon, Nebuzaradan, the captain of the garden, a servant of the king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem, and he burned the house of the Lord. How does someone burn a house that is inhabited by the glory of God? You might ask yourself. Well, the answer is, before this time, God had left the temple. Incredible. Um, we read Lamentations 2.7, Jeremiah, writing around 622 B.C. Okay, so this is... Forty years prior to when the temple would be destroyed, he wrote, The Lord has rejected his altar. He has abandoned his sanctuary. That's the time Jeremiah stood at the front of the, of the sanctuary doors and said, Don't go in. Shut these doors. God had abandoned his temple. And he, he detailed that for us in Ezekiel. Um, Ezekiel 10, 11, and, and 12, which would be written later, but is de- he details the, the um, leaving, the uh, um, lifting of God's glory from the temple such that after that, it simply was another, simply another temple. Incredible. Um, now, there's a lot of reasons you might say, wow, why would he do that? But we know it's because of the infidelity of the theocracy. Now, in time, the temple would be re- rebuilt. We know that from Zechariah and Haggai and the like. Um, it would be known as the second temple and eventually would be known as the Herodian temple. Um, but yet we never read that God's Shekinah glory descends upon that temple again. And we might ask ourselves why, and there's a lot of reasons we could give, but one, of, one reason is this, because the temple had served its purpose. The temple was a picture not only of God's glory amongst his people, corporately the church, but also, get this, God's glory in the heart and lives of God's people individually. According to 1 Corinthians 6, we read, Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit? Incredible. Paul said, you don't know this? Do you want... Uh, I recognize your body is where God has, has, has chosen to take up residence. And thus, in, in 2 Corinthians 3.18, we read these words, but we all with unveiled face beholding, that word could be translated reflecting. In fact, it could be translated either or. And when I read, I've learned in, in, in the years of studying scripture, when I read an ambiguous statement on the part of Paul, typically the answer is yes. Which is it? Both, okay? Beholding in the, um, a God's glory as well as reflecting um, as in a mirror, the glory of the Lord are being transformed into the same image, notice, from one degree of glory to the next. Sanctification in Scripture is described as, as God's glory inhabiting us, as just as the glory of God descended upon the temple in the Old Testament, so God's glory descends upon us as we grow in our faith and de- in devotion and service in the Lord. And what's the end? Well, brothers and sisters, the end of this is the full manifestation of God's glory in our lives in the age to come. I'll say that again. What's the end? It's the full manifestation of the glory of God in our person in the age 
to come. And that is what our text is addressing this morning. Notice with me, if you would, verse 18. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that is to be revealed. And the Greek word is ace, not, not um, whatever, ace. It could be translated to. Is not worthy to be compared with the glory that is to be revealed to or in us. Could be translated in. Okay? Brothers and sisters, this text is incredible. It's saying the, the sixth benefit is there's going to come a time in our lives when God's glory will be fully manifested in us. It blows the imagination, but yet, brothers and sisters, that is one of the glorious benefits that flow from the cross of Jesus Christ. You might say, ah, I think you're taking it too far. Listen to Revelation chapter 1, verse 14. Listen to the description of, the, of who Jesus Christ is today. And, and his head is, and his hair were white like wool and, and snow, and his eyes were like a, a flame of fire, and his feet were like burnished bronze, which uh, when it has been caused to glow in the furnace, and his voice was like the sound of, of many waters. Well, why that is significant is because Paul, in other places, but here as well, in Philippians 3, 20 and 21, wrote these words, For our citizenship is in heaven, from which we eagerly await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform the body of our humble estate into conformity with the body of his glory. What does Jesus Christ look like? I just read it. Someday, brothers and sisters, in glory, our bodies will manifest, will, be, will reflect the glory of God. That's the point that Paul is getting at here. He's saying, man, you know the sixth benefit? And as you know, this is culminating. So the first one leads to the second, which leads to the third, which leads to the fourth. And now we're at this glorious point. Now that we've been declared sons and daughters of God, fifth benefit, notice Paul says, we have a phenomenal future awaiting every one of us. Someday we will enjoy the glory of God in our person. It's crazy. It's incredible. And what Paul does here in 18 through 25 is he breaks down with specificity as to what would be the implications of that. If indeed that's going to happen, what, what by way of practicality and specifics does that mean for you and me? And so we're going to begin this morning looking at the content of our future glory. And hopefully we can get through this and then go on. But notice with me first the content of our future glory. The first element that Paul focuses on is the revealing of the sons of God. Notice with me verse 19. For the anxious longing of the creation waits eagerly for the revealing of the sons of God. Um, What's this mean? The word for reveal is translated as uncover or unveil. It references, quote, a revealing of something for what it truly is. So the word means to reveal something for what it really is. And Paul says that there's going to come a time when who we really are, our status as God's sons and daughters, will be manifested as as it really is. Brothers and sisters, you've got to understand that in our world today, our world looks at us, and what do they see? They see religious people. They see religious people and they lump us in the same category as Islam, as Muslims, as uh, followers of Buddha, as people in cults, name it. We're just religious people and we all get lumped there. 
In fact, in the military uh, to, um, uh, today, um, when I was in seminary, I was looking at chaplaincy, but then it came out that, that they were going to allow chaplains who worship Satan. Those were chaplains. So there, those now are a religious group of people who are protected by their religious right to worship Satan. And then atheism came in, and now you've got chaplains who are atheists. And you realize, brothers and sisters, that's how the world views us. We're just one of many. And what we believe in is not real. Right? Most today are, Kirk, are I'm use a big word, uh, Kierkegaard. Kierkegaard uh, believed that the focus of Christianity, the, fake, the focus of religion, is believing in belief. It's just, as long as you got faith, that's all that you need. Doesn't matter what you believe in, you believe in that doorknob, God. But it doesn't matter. That's how the world sees us. And you know what's really sad? We may not view it that way, but that's how we see us. What difference is there between us and the Muslim? They claim to have hope. What difference is there between us and name all the different groups? And we can say, well, we've got Christ. Amen. Praise God that you know to say that. But I wonder if practically you've heard it said that the place where the greatest gathering of atheists exists on the earth is every Sunday morning. Oh, yeah, we profess those things. But do you really believe that because of Jesus Christ, you are special. That you live in this world as someone who has a glorious future in front of them because you are special to God. I don't think that we believe that. We don't. And so Paul comes here and says, brothers and sisters, you've got to realize that your future in Christ is amazing. We've got this, this glorious future. Future, listen to Colossians 3, 3 through 4. You have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. The world doesn't see it. When Christ, who is our life, is revealed, then you also will be revealed with him in glory. That's our future. The world doesn't see it. And because we live in a world, uh, in the world, it's so easy to have the world's thoughts and minds become our thoughts and minds, become of the world. 1 John 3, 1, see how great the love of the Father has bestowed upon us that we should be called children of God, and such we are. For this reason, the world does not know us. The world doesn't understand that you and I are children of the living God, do you? Do you walk around as that as your identity? Or is your failure your identity? Or is your theological prowess your identity? Hey, what makes you special in God's kingdom? I know theology, or I'm not special. I'm a horrible, wretched sinner. I struggle with, 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 with just menial service. Brothers and sisters, your identity from last week is you are a son or a daughter of the living God. And you and I, therefore, Paul comes and says, now, brothers and sisters, live like that. Bake on that. Live in a world where you realize that the day is going to come when the world is going to behold your true identity. Incredible. On the last day, we shall be glorified with God, which according to verse 19 means that everyone who has ever lived on this earth someday will witness an unveiling in which God's love for us and the blessings he has planned for us will become a matter of public knowledge. When I was studying this this past week, what came to my mind, I don't know why, was the coronation of Queen Elizabeth II was in 1953. 
King, if you, if you saw The Crown on Netflix, we started watching a little bit. I saw enough of it to hear this, that that was the first televised coronation. Philip made sure of it, which means people across the world, the entire globe, witnessed Queen Elizabeth's becoming queen, the leader, at least in status, of England. Incredible. Brothers and sisters, that's, that's, I got a picture in your bulletin of, of what that looked like as the, as the streets were just packed with thousands upon thousands upon hundreds of thousands of people who all were witnessing the coronation. Do you understand? The day is going to come when the entire um, world that has ever existed is going to witness Christ and his bride's coronation. And that involves you. Do you realize I just describes, de- described a future reality which involves you? You. If I was a prophet and I said, this coming week, you are going to have this happen to you, and it happened, you'd be shocked. Brothers and sisters, be shocked. I just described something that is going to be real in your life. Some, someday, you and I are going to be part of the unveiling of who God's bride is. Read Revelation. Wow. So that's the first thing that Paul picks on. Yeah, we, the glory that awaits us is amazing. Well, what is that glory? First, you and I are going to be beheld by everyone who's ever existed. And they're going to see who we really are. Secondly, would you notice the completion of our adoption as sons? Verse 23, we're going to skip down a little bit. And not only this, but we also ourselves, having the first fruits of the Spirit, even we ourselves, grown within ourselves, waiting eagerly for our adoption as sons. We'll stop right there. Now, we picked up on this last week in uh, our last one, 14 through 17, where sonship was the fifth benefit. And there we looked at what adoption was. And we saw from this text, verses 14 through 17, so, uh, some of the elements of uh, adoption. Through it, we become sons of God. Verse 14, we receive the spirit of adoption. Verse 15, as well as the testimony that he or she, we are the child of God, verse 16. And finally, the promise of an inheritance, verse 17. Now, the question is this. Last week, when I talked about this benefit, I talked about it as if it was a done deal, and it is. Well, in what way, then, are we looking for the revelation? We're waiting eagerly for our adoption as sons. Paul, I thought we were already adopted. How can we be waiting to be adopted? So which is it? The answer is both. Once again, we are adopted, just like 14 through 17 says. However, remember that last point I just re- uh, referenced? And the last point is because we're sons and daughters of, of God, we have an inheritance, verse 17. Well, that's still future. To understand this, let me back up and put it this way. We've already talked about this. The three Ps of sin. Sin has a penalty. Sin has a power. And sin has a presence. The penalty was taken away at the cross. The power was taken away. Um, at the cross, but the presence of sin is still with us. And thus, brothers and sisters, this, this uh, facet of God's glory awaiting us, um, beings on that, that right now, brothers and sisters, we are going to be delivered. But you know what? I just skipped way ahead of my notes. So let's forget about, I just said that, Jerry. Let me keep on going here. Um, so we, we are going to be uh, uh, redeemed. What does it mean? That means that we get our future inheritance, okay? So that was a commercial earlier, okay? Um, that being said, let me read to you a couple verses. What does that mean? What is that future inheritance? Ephesians 1. 
You were sealed in Christ with the Holy Spirit of promise, who was given as a pledge, a down payment of our inheritance with the review, with a view to the redemption of God's own possession to the praise of his glory. Brothers and sisters, do you not understand that though we are sons and daughters of God most high, we have not received our inheritance yet? Notice uh, Romans 8, 17. If children heirs also heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ. That goes exactly what we saw in verse 17. If children heirs also heirs, I just uh, said, uh, Galatians 4. Therefore, you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. So brothers and sisters, in scripture, it's very clear that when we were saved, we became sons of God and we became became co-heirs with Christ over what God's going to give Jesus Christ. Now, what does God give Jesus Christ? Well, God gave Jesus Christ the world. That's the book of Revelation, right? Apocalypto, the, 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 the whole form of that. We talked about this last week. It's in seven seals, which is the form of a will. And so Jesus Christ has willed to, to him by the Father creation, this world. Well, we're co-heirs of that. Christ someday will sit on the throne and and judge. Well, guess what? In Scripture, we're going to co-judge with God. We're going to give the amen. Um, Jesus Christ is going to co-reign, or he's going to reign over this world. We, by virtue of of our status in Christ, will co-reign with him. Go back to Genesis 1. The end will be as as, as the beginning. All of these things, brothers and sisters, land, position, power, is all part of the inheritance that awaits us in Christ. And so what is being spoken about, verse 18, when Paul references the glory that is to be revealed, according to 23b, is the fullness of the benefits of sonship. We have not got them yet. So we are, as it were, and Rutherford uses this language, we are as the child of God in the crib, crying for milk, little knowing that a kingdom lays before us. That's us, brothers and sisters. You and I are living this world and we are as, as children of God, at times crying because God didn't give us that pay raise, or God took that job, or God didn't give me the, the, the you know, advancement, name it, that I, I got ill health. Crying and going, God, I feel so left out, I feel so neglected. Little do you know what awaits you in Christ this day. And that's what Paul's getting at here. Do you understand that Jesus Christ, not only do you and I, have, well, you and I have our true identity revealed. But secondly, we're going to have the completion of our adoption. We actually get to co-reign with Jesus and enjoy everything that Christ earned by his life and death we now get to have. Incredible. That brings us then to a third facet of it. And uh, that was the commercial for this part. Here we go. The redemption of our body, 23C. And not only this, but we also ourselves having the first fruits of the Spirit, even we ourselves grown within ourselves, waiting eagerly for the adoption of, um, as sons, the redemption of our bodies. All right, redemption. We talked about this as well last week because of sonship. To redeem in the Bible is a significant term. It refers to, to purchase out of servitude or to purchase out of... Um, uh, bonds. Okay, in the Old Testament, it's used in the, con- in the context of prison, a prison sentence of a death a sentence. For example, Exodus 21, if however an ox was previously in the habit of goring and its owner has been warned and yet he does not confine it and it kills a man or a woman, the ox will be stoned and its owner shall be put to death. Whoa. But if a ransom is demanded of him, then he shall give for the redemption, that's the word, of his life. Whatever is demanded of it, it's, a, it's, it's the purchasing out of death. 
Okay, it's used that way. Now, in the New Testament, because of the context of Rome, the, the primary use of it is understood to be that of the redemption of, from slavery. There were six, over six million Jews, Jews, over six million slaves in the Roman Empire at, at a given time. Six million. So buying and selling of slaves was a big deal. And when you bought a slave, it had very specific rules. And uh, p- part of the process of buying a slave um, involved... Um, uh, let me just uh, read it. If you wanted to buy a slave, you could um, grant. Uh, you would. Th- uh, I'm sorry. Let me read it. Um, let's see. There, there would be a certificate that you would get. It would. It would testify to the deliverance that you uh, purchased. And once that money was given to the person that you bought him from, guess what? They would write across that cer- certificate, redeemed. Okay, so it's a redemption certificate. So when, when Paul says we're, we, we are waiting for the redemption of our bodies, you go, in what way is your body imprisoned? I don't understand that. Because didn't we talk about the power of sin being dealt with, the, its power to rule us? In what way are we still waiting for our bodies to be redeemed? Well, that was the third piece. So now get back to what we said. The three Ps, the penalty of sin is death, the power of sin dealt with at the cross. But we're talking here about the presence of sin it's what makes your life right now difficult okay i'm at that age now in your 50s i heard this years ago when you get in your your 50s you don't have to do anything wrong to get hurt you can just be walking and all of a sudden whoa right that's 50s and when you get in your 60s and 70s i'm not there yet i haven't heard so what they depend upon our sisters and brothers but brothers and sisters it's amazing i'm i'm at that age now i'm now coveting i shouldn't confess this but i'm coveting the youthfulness of kids i went to a track meet yesterday for a little bit to watch uh lydia and i'm there looking at all these young strapping boys i'm seeing them throw the shot put you know six foot five guys sitting there going, look at that guy look at his bill and he throws it 20 feet or whatever right but whoa these guys i'm going man i saw a commercial a beer commercial uh, during basketball last week and it's the cameras on the side of the hip of a guy and he's he's carrying a cooler filled with corona beer and the cameras on the side of the hip of the girl and so you can see them walking and then it's from the perspective of the cooler looking up and they're so happy and and they're they're playing you know and, and i'm with envy going wow they can play beach volleyball and not get hurt <laughs> i'm serious i'm like wow I have, to, I have to hold on to something now to lean down because my knees hurt so, uh, so bad. And, wow. Brothers and sisters, as you age, the youth, it's, it is wasted on the young because you have no clue what you've got, right? <laughs> but the older guys, we're going, oh, my, if only, if one day, give me one day, I'd never gripe again for taking a lap in football. Amen. Right? They'd say, Greg, take a lap. I'd say, Really? Yeah! And I'd run as fast as I could. Now if I took a lap and ran as fast as I could, I'd probably trip, fall, and hurt myself. Okay? Yeah! Brothers and sisters, do you understand what the future holds for us? The future holds the redemption of our bodies. Paul says, Nothing good dwells in me that is in my flesh. I see a different law in the members of my body waging war against the law of my, my mind. So not only our decaying flesh, but now our conflicted flesh. We don't have to sin, but sometimes we give in to, to sin. And so we find ourselves doing the things we don't want to do, and the things we don't want to do, we do. Isn't that another horrible element of every one of our walks? Brothers and sisters, the redemption of our body involves the deliverance of this for, for us. Incredible. 
Taken together, this is the picture then when it comes to our future glory. Though we have been saved by Christ, you'd never know it by looking at us, right? Because of this, it's easy to look upon the Christian with, with uh, vanity, even scorn. You say God loves you and that you're saved? Where's the proof? If my father loved me and I was, was filthy rich and, went, and had unlimited power, you can be sure he wouldn't allow me to struggle as do you. So if you are God's child, why does he allow you to struggle so, so, uh, so much? Um, your religion is nothing more than pie in the sky. Brothers and sisters, it's easy to hear these words and begin believing them and start thinking that's us. Yet, Christian, by faith, accept the incredible uh, message of this passage. Number one. Yes, today our lives are hidden in Christ, such that the world does not see, no respect that we are sons and daughters of God Most High, but someday they will. Yes, at times we might even question God's purpose and intention as our status as children of God hasn't, in, hasn't resulted in tangible ble- uh, blessings in our lives, but just wait until uh, tomorrow, brothers and sisters. Someday we will. Yet as Christians, the battle is fierce as we endeavor to live God, as God's children. More than anything else, our flesh, our bodies betray us and make us miserable. But the day is coming when all of that is going to change. So the question is, brothers and sisters, will you live by faith in that? That's the issue. Luke 18, 8b, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? That's a big question. Will you live by this? See, this is something we don't realize. The world, we listen to the world's verbiage and we, we think it should be all tangible. It should be, you know, you know instantaneous uh, today. We're microwave Christians. We should be where we should be t- today. God, why, why, why is it struggling us? Why are we struggling? Do you not love us? What, what have we done wrong? Name it. And brothers and sisters, listen to how God's people would have us to live a life of faith. Hebrews 11, all these died in faith without receiving the promises. But having seen them and having welcomed them from a distance and having confessed that they were strangers and exiles on the earth, for those who say such things make it clear that they are seeking a country of their own. All right, so they lived as aliens and strangers, brothers and sisters, in this world suffering on account of their faith. Why did they do it? Skip down to verse 39. All these, having gained approval through their faith, did not receive what was promised. Why? Because God had provided something better for them. They could have stayed in the promised land, but they didn't. They could have claimed this temporal blessing as God's fullness for them, but they refused. Brothers and sisters, do you honestly think in eternity future, you're going to care about the pay raise you didn't get? Do you honestly think, at the, you know, we, we'll use death as that barometer. I'm suggesting the eternal state. But even death, on your deathbed, how many people wish they had spent more days at the office? How many people wish that, boy, I wish that, that, you know, I had, I don't know, think of the different things that you might uh, think of versus, I am so grateful that I know Jesus Christ. I'm so grateful that God has walked with me throughout my entire life. And yes, there's been dark times, but God has never let me go. Brothers and sisters, in glory, will we look back upon this earth and just with shock at the silly things that you and I spent our lives to save, Right? Um, amazing. So the call is for us to be men and women of, of faith. Now to feed this faith, Paul gives us, he transitions to the centrality of our glory. 
And looking at the time, this is going to be about a 15 minutes, so that'll be way over. I'm going to let this go. Next week, we'll pick it up looking at the centrality of our glory. So because this is true, what we've seen today, if you can, keep this in your minds. Remember, because next week, we're going to pick up here. Because this is true, do you understand what God has done? He has orchestrated creation and us to um, to testify to this. And we're going to talk, uh, return next time and we'll talk about what that means. For now, let's go to Lord in prayer and pray that God gives us the grace to be men and women of faith who would walk by faith and not by sight. Let's pray. Father God, we're so grateful for your word and the privilege that you've given us, O Lord, to look at it this morning, to fellowship around it, and Lord, to be told by you the best is yet to come. Makes me think of the woman who, who had herself buried in her coffin with a, a spoon. Lord, we know that story. How? Why? Because they always said, save your spoon for dessert. God, we pray, oh God, you give us the grace to live in this world with that spoon in our hands with an orientation towards what you have and are going to do for us. Lord, this is the sixth benefit. That is our birthright. That we can live uh, in in this world, not living according to the world, not living as what the world sees. But Lord, give us the grace by faith to behold the world as it someday will be. Our relationship with you as it someday is, or as it is today and someday will be. And that, Lord, therefore, we would walk around as more than conquerors, through Jesus Christ, not beaten down, not, not uh, distracted by the, the silly things of this life, the burdens of this life, but that we would be a people who would live as more than conquerors because of the glorious benefits that are ours in you. We pray this, O Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen.